Hi, uh, welcome to the Life of Education podcast. Today we're here with Miffy Edlin from the Physio Centre in Dubai. Hi, Miffy. Good morning. Hi there. All nice and early on a Friday morning. Yeah. So, Miffy, maybe you can tell us a little bit about um, who you are mm-hmm. as a physio and what your, your practice is about. Sure. Uh, I'm an Australian physio. I've been in Dubai about 10 years. And our focus is sports and orthopaedics. We're based in Healthcare City. And we tend to look at joint and muscular injuries. So you're looking at knee, lots of knees, lots of backs, lots of necks in Dubai. Um, and at the moment, we're seeing a bit of an issue with what I have coined the term over-yogering. Feel free over-yogering. to change. Over-yogering. I over-yoga all the time. Yeah. We're seeing it in a particular sort of way and that's kind of what I want to talk about today because it's a concern and we're seeing it a lot in the clinic and it's growing over the last probably three or four years and it's really hard to treat and it takes a lot of time so it's becoming more important. Maybe can you explain to everybody what over yogaing yes. is? Yeah so to me there are two types of over yogaing. The, the first type is um, doing too much too often L- literally practicing daily the body not getting the chance to recover And also the body not getting the chance to do a cross-training, like a a strength session, which when we're becoming more and more flexible, we need more and more strength. And the second is this new thing I think we're seeing out of places like Instagram, where Mm. it's this um, isolated postures. But yoga was formed to get a strong body, mind and, and spirit, and the body was supposed to be in balance. And now we see these uh yogis doing extreme postures on the internet Mm -hmm. and then teaching you how to do the extreme posture and that's what we're seeing people practice over and over to get a specific asana and there's no balance in doing a specific asana so that's when we're getting sort of these hip pains and knee pains from Mm -hmm. over overdoing it yeah, I see that a lot on Instagram with handstands. Yes. There's so many. Yes. And when you look at a traditional practice like Ashtanga, you've got the handstands like in third series. Absolutely. You, you don't practice it until you've been doing like 10 years of yoga. And even after practicing it, you're going through stages of practicing it. So you're building up the strength in the hands, you're building up the strength in the shoulders. And what we're seeing a lot of is the strength in the wrists. We're seeing a lot of problems because handstands are currently the... The, thing. the pose of choice. Mm. Yeah. So what did you t- so just say? Handstands is in the third assassin. Uh, this is I'm not uh, very proficient with the the third series in Ashtanga. What is the third series? Just explain so to some people. Basically, uh, Ashtanga is is a form of yoga, and it's a practice that was developed by Patabi Joyce. Well, he was he wasn't he didn't develop it, but he was the one that brought it to the West and made it really famous. And it's basically a sequence you have like primary, second, third, A and B. And you practice the same sequence in Ashtanga and you practice it. You're meant to practice it six days a week, the seventh day's rest. You practice it every morning. Um, and in a traditional way, it's practiced at about four in the morning. And it's if you do the whole thing, it's a two hour. It can be a two hour practice. It depends on the pace that you move at. Um, and the set sequence you do over and over again. And the thing is, is that you do one, uh, say, for example, you're a beginner, you learn Suri Namaskar A and B, and you do that for six months. And then the mm. Mysore teacher is going to teach you the next pose. Mm. And the next pose might be like 
I don't know, something else, a standing posture like trikonasana. So you do triangle pose. And then they, like two or three months later, you might learn yeah. B and then you learn C. So in a traditional format, you're over the course of a year, you're going to learn the whole sequence. Yeah. But you're learning it in, in really small increments. Yeah. Um, and it's taught very differently. Today. But you're given the time to develop, progress, um, and you're given the time for your joints to adapt, for your muscles to come in and to support your body. It's not taught, um, this is the pose, now get yourself into it. Yeah. So in whatever means possible. Yeah, and what I think is also important is what we're seeing in the clinic that I'm here today concerned about, we're not seeing teachers. Mm. We're not seeing um, true yogis. We're seeing Western... Weekend warrior yogis. Weekend warrior yogis, yeah. You know, and they, they want to be yogis, but they never follow through from the physical into the, the, the spirit and the mind. So Caroline's telling you how traditional yogi develop, yogis develop. I see, as you say, the weekend warriors who literally jump in and do hardcore yoga without any base, right. without any mm-hmm. strength. And that's always that's any sport. That's what's going to lead to injuries. So, what, when you mentioned the term over yogaing, it, it's like uh, too much flexibility. Is that what you're well, saying? Well, it comes from two things. So, there we we tend to look at people in terms of flexibility, and flexibility is currently the 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 thing that everyone wants. Um, and we see flexibility as two things. You've either got your genetic population who are, are flexible people. We're all, we all have an element of flexibility in our bodies, but some people are more flexible than others, and that comes down to the amount of collagen in your system. And collagen is a, a protein that's within your skin, your muscle, your tendon, your ligaments, um, your joint capsules, and that allows for the tissue to stretch. And the more collagen you have, the more stretchy you have. And, and we think that's a really good thing. But when that comes to, say, ligaments, ligaments are designed to support the system, the the body standing up. And when they are too stretchy, you're less stable. So we have muscles to come in and support it. So when I'm then talking about over-yogaring and and that population, I'm talking about pushing too far, just pushing too far, working at the end of the range all the time and never never actually getting the strength to support it. If you don't have that strength, the compression on the bones increases um, the pressure on the cartilage increases and we end up with damage. And that sort of damage to any sort of cartilage is, uh, to a degree, irreparable. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are certainly surgical procedures to repair cartilage, but they're not foolproof and they're, not, they're definitely not something I would choose to go for. Mm. But that's the, the stretchy population. What we're also so sorry, sorry to interrupt you there. With that uh, type of population, what are some of the injuries that you see commonly in the clinic? Um, we're seeing hip impingements. So, and and I I've got to be careful there because medically, hip impingement is um is a contentious issue at the moment. But what we're seeing is bone on bone. So people are bending too far, and they're irritating bone on bone. You're seeing um, joint capsule and stretch too much too much movement at the back of a knee when they're going into it yeah. and the biggest one we are seeing is wrists mm. from uh we were talking a little bit before this about um the the handstand posture or were we talking that, about that in this yeah maybe <laughs> yeah just a couple of minutes ago <laughs> or was it before we videoed maybe both yeah ah, okay but <laughs> but but again we're seeing um 
load and too much stretch, not enough support, and then you get this bone on bone, and it's painful and it's long term, and it re- and it really does involve a lot of rest mm. and strengthening because you need those tissues which are being stretched beyond what we call the elastic limit. Uh, do we understand elastic limit being any tissue can be stretched and eventually maybe, it breaks? Yeah, maybe you explain can it for, yeah. for people who are new. So any tissue in the world, be it fabric, be it muscle, be it plastic. Um, has an elastic limit where if we stretch it long enough or hard enough, it it breaks. And what it might do is just stretch to the point where it doesn't come back to normal anymore or it might physically break. And muscles, tendons and ligaments have different elastic limits. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. And joint capsules, which is kind of where I'm going with this. But if you take, for instance, a hairband, and this is for the ladies out there, if you take a hairband and you wear it often enough and tight enough around your pony it will lose its stretch. Yeah, that's a good analogy. And that is exactly what elastic limit is. And when you are then um, pushing a joint capsule that is designed to perhaps, your wrist is designed to go back, say, 80 degrees, and you're suddenly pushing it back 90 degrees, if we do that slowly and allow for connective tissue adaptation so that that joint capsule to come back each time and gradually adapt, we're okay. But if you're suddenly overdoing it, doing it too much, um, too often or too quickly, you actually break the elastic limit. You go through the elastic limit and no longer can the tissue come back to heal. So therefore, you're left with a loose joint ongoing and that's not necessarily going to come back ever. So you've got to increase and increase the strength around the the wrists, the shoulder complex, the trunk to to compensate for that. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're seeing these injuries that go on and on and it's hard to keep someone from their sport. But what it's also to remember is there are so many different ways you can practice yoga. Yoga is not just about the physical. The physical is believed to be the first step mm. in learning to control the body so that it's easier for us to control the body. Once we can have a strong and healthy body, we can then look at moving into the mind and the spirit. Mm. Uh, but everyone is on this physical, 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 and they're the, they're the sort of injuries we're seeing, long-term joint injuries. Yeah, I think, like, in yoga, after you do all of the physical practice, the asana comes, like, pranayama, so you, the breathing and the meditation yeah. and things like that. And so you, f- you practice physically so that you can sit. But, like... No one wants to see someone sitting in lotus on Instagram. It's not like, it's not trendy. Yeah, yeah it's unfortunately. not um, popular. But I think um, I'm not a yogi. I, I go to yoga classes. I'm a weekend warrior <laughs> with um, sense. Do you have any pain? No pain. No pain. No injuries. Um, but I think this is where teachers can come in and provide the education. It's one thing to put yourself in a pose doing the splits on yoga but what you could also do is put a flow on yoga showing how you got to that pose instead of going straight into it and taking a snapshot of it maybe use that the thing on on instagram where you can scan through multiple photos and show the build-up to it yeah and Mm -hmm. and more education i mean i don't know about you two but i don't often read (laughs) the written word under an instagram post i'm much more of a scanner and Mm -hmm. a liker um but the written word, maybe if it was more concise, smaller, written on the photo of the fact that this is a process. Yeah. This is not this is not day one of me doing yoga. I've been doing it for years and I've gone through the, the what's, the why's and the wherefores mm-hmm. of yoga and I've got to this point. 
Yeah, sometimes like a handstand practice can take someone like five to seven years to like develop. Completely. And then you're seeing this beautiful image on Instagram and it's like, oh, well, like... Why can't I do that? Yeah, yeah. yeah, But it takes a long time, like... And I think if we take the handstand, for instance, I think particularly you look at um, the practice of the handstand and the first thing people show is up against a wall, nice and close to a wall, either Mm. facing or away from the wall. That's like so far down the track of learning a handstand yeah i know like downward dog yes like start with downward dog exactly yeah Mm -hmm. to to get load to develop shoulder control where you're supposed to be when you do the handstand yeah but but that's not being promoted yeah and what is being promoted in a handstand is instead of being bent backwards with your feet sort of either behind or in front of you then they need to be vertical so therefore get yourself closer to the wall to teach yourself vertical but that doesn't teach you anything about hand position or shoulder position Mm. there's a similar parallel issue in the crossfit industry with handstands and Mm. that's different that's an extreme more extreme version but it's the same thing day one you're in you've got a wall put your hands on the floor throw your legs up against the wall yeah and then work from there yep and there's yeah there's a lot of issues creeping out of that the the only thing from a physio perspective that I would say from that is with a CrossFit population, you tend to have more the people that we consider the stiffies or, or epigenetic. They're, they develop um, their body according to what they do. So have you heard of the said principle of, go, yeah, of just, training? Just go through it there again. Um, said principle is specific adaptation to impose demands. So the, the idea that the body... I had to think that through. <laughs> no, I was going to help you. I know. You so yeah. typically say the said principle. Yeah. Um, so the idea that by doing something, your body will adapt to doing it. So if it does something new, it will learn to adapt. With repetition, it will learn to adapt to that new movement pattern or strength required, whatever it happens to be. Um, so when I was talking before about the, the we call them the floppies and the stiffies in the physio world. It's very Australian not, term not, for yeah, that. So <laughs> also in the Australian physio world, <laughs> in the fizzy world, <laughs> down us Aussies, we have floppies and our stiffies. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, but the stiffies are the opposite of the flippies, the, the floppies. That the <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is getting confusing. They don't have the same collagen, natural collagen amount. So they are, they are typically tighter. Um, but being tighter sounds maybe a little bit negative, but at the same time being tighter also means more stable. So there are positives and negatives to being a floppy and being a stiffy. But the stiffy population, they are the ones that we're tending to find. Sorry, this is just... Oh, shall, shall we call the tighter population? Yes. Right. It's just this Australian-ness. These, you guys abbreviate every, we do, every and fifth word. Yeah, we... Fourth, I think, my <laughs> But we tend to find these are the ones that will adapt. So, so they're the ones over yogaing, doing too much too often because they're desperate to develop this flexibility. And gradually their bodies are – sorry, I am going to come back to the CrossFit. That's, I'm kind of going around in a loop. Mm. But when it comes to the yoga, they're not giving their body any time to recover. So they're stretching the connective tissue and they're the ones that are at, at the risk of um, breaking the elastic limit as well from doing it too much coming back to the crossfit population i would probably prefer the crossfit population to do right. handstands than the uh, off the bat than the the yoga population because the crossfit people tend to be more your stiffer population mm-hmm. that that's why they've 
kind of in my this is just my opinion that's why they've naturally moved toward yeah. something like crossfit as opposed to yoga because their bodies is tighter and i wouldn't necessarily say stronger but it will develop strength perhaps mm-hmm. a little bit more easily and when they go into a handstand they probably have more strength there to stabilize themselves in the first place mm-hmm. they don't they maybe don't have the movement but they've got the, the strength to do it so part of me thinks I'd prefer to see that population move into a handstand than the yoga population, and I'm talking very generally here, but the, the floppy population mm. that, are, that are having difficulty developing the stability. So can I go back a little bit? You mentioned that there was a, a couple of different groups within the yoga population that are genetically very flexible. What yep. other groups? Well, that's there? what we look at, the genetically and then the non-genetically or the epigenetic, they've developed the flexibility to do yoga. So literally there are two, to me, there are two populations. So is that when you say they're genetically like lax ligaments, when yep. you hear that term, yep. that's someone who's just naturally, I've seen a lot of, uh, not to generalize here, but uh, whenever you go to like workshops in, in Australia, you see a lot of the Asian population and they're very, and it's like, how can you do that? You've been practicing a day. Yeah. Like, I think though that's also getting into... Um, uh, makeup you know different populations are made differently it's why you tend to see um, sprinters coming from an African yeah. background because they develop what's called fast switch fibers so big quads deltoid um, big bum really quickly that that's mm-hmm. their strength whereas you look at an Asian population and they they tend to have more collagen through their body which makes them more more flexible yeah. naturally and that's why you see them sitting on their feet You know, here in Dubai particularly, you you often see an Asian population, they can sit on their feet for hours and I can't even get down there. Sit in a deep squat, yeah, Yeah. for the day. And as a, uh, to me it's as a Caucasian, I don't have that flexibility. So I can't get down there no matter how much, well, I don't practice that much. I'm sure if I practice more with a progressive program, Mm. I would get down there. But naturally my body doesn't go down there. And, And that's... I can't do anything about that except practice and apply the said principle mm. yeah. where I, I adapt things to the imposed needs. I was going to say something before about dancers. So this is where we've kind of learnt about the, these genetically floppy people. And uh, dancers are a mix because they're naturally floppy and then they push it even further. So years and years ago when I... This is probably even just before I was at university, so what, five years ago? (laughs) Last week. Last week I finished. Um, It it came out through the Australian Ballet and this is where Pilates became very popular in Australia. And what they were finding was that once dancers retired, they were coming out with lots of painful joints and injuries. And they weren't necessarily getting injured, but the damage that had been done to their joint system during their years of dance was coming to the fore because they had gone through years and years of flexibility training but also strength training because of dance. They were able to maintain their posture. They were Mm -hmm. able to support the joints. Uh, And once they retired, the strength training went, but the flexibility was there. The flexibility they had trained for so long that they had had essentially broken the limit. I had a a case when I was first starting off as a fitness instructor last week yes <laughs> <laughs> um and i had this really overweight guy come for a consultation we were talking about everything 
and I just mentioned the word flexibility, and he said, there's no need to worry about flexibility. And we were both standing up. He just put his toe in his hand, and he put his foot up beside his ear. And I just stood there, and he was like very overweight. Yeah. And I just stood there, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to tear up everything I know yes. about flexibility, and we'll come back to and this. And start again. Yeah. yeah. He, but um, there's an interesting sort of thing that I tell people about the difference between flexibility and mobility. And you might be able to kind of fine-tune this a bit more. But... Uh, like pressure. Fl- <laughs> flexibility is almost the ability to get into a position just as in there's a railing can I put my hat my can I just swing my heel up on top of it and mm-hmm. reach my toe mm-hmm. okay so there's me flexible I can touch my toes but mobility is the idea that can I stand slowly lift my leg up gently put it onto the rail slowly reach forward tip it and come back all under control and yeah. under under sort of under a contraction rather than just momentum yeah, and moving and people when I started in the rehab I couldn't understand it didn't make sense to me why yoga people were getting injured I was like well you're all flexible you're what's what's going on mm. and it was a lot of the stuff with the Gray's Institute where that you kind of move to end range yeah. move to end range slowly control then you come out of end range that triggered it for me that like people the the I, I've done a few yoga classes but I haven't done anything advanced he's a weekend warrior yeah, yeah. monthly weekend warrior <laughs> So I know, like, and I'm a stiffy for sure. Um, so I know, like, okay, <laughs> this is level one. But I see the pictures that you guys are talking about. And I'm like, okay, how did they get there? I've no idea. But I know when I when they would come into a, I used to have do people treatment room, t- testing their muscle length tests, and they're straight into end range. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why have you got a sore back? Why, like, your hip flexors aren't tight in this position on the table. Your hip flexors aren't tight. Um, your rotation's not tight. Yep. So I'm trying to figure out for a long time. And I, there was a gr- I remember specifically a group of girls I couldn't help. I was like, I don't know what's... I don't know this. You'll have right. to go see somebody else. Um, and then I started to understand more about when you take the muscle to its end range, it's at its weakest. Absolutely. So when you sort of connect the two dots, like there's the in-depth actin and myosin theory, but you can go mm-hmm. with this simple analogy of... Uh, if you're carrying all your shopping bags, this is one I would tell people, if you're carrying all your shopping bags from the car. Which it, we all do. Which everybody does it in one go. Mm. So you either do it with a straight arm and there's no way you can move those bags. Mm. Or you bend your elbow, you have the muscle in the middle range and you've got, not a lot, but you've got a bit more room yep. to move. So the muscle is in a much stronger contraction, yep. indicating when it's at its longest, it's way weaker. Yes. So just taking that as the outcome of that. So when you have this huge back bend, not only do you have sort of your hip flexors on full mm. length, but you've also got your quads. You've also got... Your mi- hip joint. Yeah, well, the hip joint's in that final, yeah. final range. So it's at its most vulnerable and it's needing yeah. its most support. But you've also got all the other muscles at their f- end ranges and they're not going to be able to support. Yes. So you get away with that once or twice because your body's inherently able to yeah. maintain a level of robustness. Yes. But then you stay there for a long time and the, the body decides, right, we don't need to, we don't need to control this. Mm. We're just going to stay here. And then there's also... And that's, over, that's what I'm getting at as over-yogering. Yeah. And someone like Caroline would have gone through the process of developing the strength to control at end of range. Yeah. 
and then but even even for me like sorry to interrupt you like i i remember like with vigorous practice like my wrist the back of my knee and the only thing that would get rid of that is not practicing for two weeks Mm. like i would leave it not practice for two weeks come back to it and then be like okay everything's fine again Mm. or doing um like weight training or other other things cross training yeah that helped a lot but that's just what i found worked for me Mm. because if i did like continuous practice with no rest or with nothing else whoa like I could get so flexible but then at the same time I felt so unstable yes um where I needed to like like bandage my knee because I felt like I was Mm. just going to collapse to the back or um yeah just crazy things like even there's there's postures where you take a leg behind the head and stuff and that used to be fine but man my hip after I was like whoa this feels like it's just gonna go Yep. Yeah. into separate pieces. Yeah. There's also the, um, so combining what we've just said on top of, I can't remember the, the technical term for it, the kind of, it's not the stretch reflex, but it's the idea that when you take a muscle to its end range, it's got an elastic recoil. Okay, it's a creep. No, I can't remember the, physical, the yeah. physiological term. Okay. So taking a, taking a standard strength exercise like a chest press you come down muscle tightens the first bit of the contraction is like an elastic recoil to get you out of that end range to protect the joint generate a small bit of momentum and then your active energy usage comes in and you contract and the muscle moves and that's i imagine designed from an evolutionary perspective that when you're chasing herds over long distances and you're running the momentum is kicking. Yeah, yeah. So when the when the like a marathon runner, when the knee comes back behind the body, the first bit of contraction is elastic, effortless. Mm. So it's it's an energy uh, conservation tool. So when you take a um, a marathon runner, you actually don't want them to be so super flexible no. because we need that contraction, that that uh, elastic recoil to help them every stride of yeah. their way. So that's there. That's inbuilt. That's useful. Now you're telling the, the person to get into that position and stay there. Yes. And you're switching off that recoil. Yeah. And this is the thing that bodybuilders try and train for. They try and train to turn off that recoil. They pause. Oh. So that's because they want to contract. They want to do as much. They want okay. They, they want, want as, as much m- active movement. Yeah, exactly. They okay. want to use. They want as much muscle contraction as possible. So, down eccentric, tearing up the building, muscle, tearing building, up the building, muscle. Building. Pause. The elect the uh, the elastic recoil switches off. So then that millimeter, two millimeters mm. is, contra- is uh, energy usage contraction. Okay. So this is what I realized was going on with the yogi, mm. these over yogi weekend people, is that they've switched that off. Yes. The way I, you talk about the muscles with the shopping bags, I tend to talk about it in the clinic um, with fingers, and I'm going to try it here. Mm-hmm. So muscle, when it's at rest, sits like that. It literally is these, these fibers fitting in between each other. And when I decide to, to lift the shopping bag, there's a, a chemical that goes between to form bridges, which shortens, which shortens the fibres. They come together to contract the muscle. Um, that's quite normal. Then I decide to stretch, and I stretch out to here. I don't stretch any further than that, and that's a good stretch to release. To actually turn off the chemicals, you need to be stretching for 40 to 60 seconds to turn off those chemicals to say you can stop relaxing now. Oh, sorry, you can stop contracting now. What I tend to find with exactly as you said, the population that we're talking about, they're not stretching to here, they're stretching to here. So actually they've sep- almost separated the fibres, so the ability for the, the chemical to cross a- between the fibres is not there. 
it'll it'll come back. Don't get me wrong, it'll it'll repair and recover. But they are stretching and holding and they're they're holding for longer than a minute. So they're turning off the neurotransmitter which tells you to contract the muscle. So then they come out of that and there is no support and for the next I, I don't, I'm, I, to be honest, I can't tell you how long it takes for the recovery. Well, I, for, this isn't technical, but from experience, I've done like yin yoga where you stay for yes. poses for five minutes. Yes. And oh, I'm probably the worst yogi then. Oh, um, Why? Well, I've Not been the worst yogi, but the worst the, patient. The over, <laughs> yeah, I'm the over-yogering. Um, yeah, I've been in postures for five, and the amount of, like I can't. I don't have the strength to lift my arm back mm. out of it. Oh, when and you it, finish. Yeah. Yes, when I yeah, finish sure. the posture. So you're there for five minutes. And after five minutes, yeah, my arm can't lift itself off. Yeah. And it takes like a good minute or two. Yeah. And you slowly like pull it out and you're like, oh, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, I it think, loses its strength. Yeah, sure. absolutely. It loses the ability to contract. Mm. That's what happens. Yeah. So the active ability to support yourself is gone. I think um, also when you're talking about things like yin yoga, I I really like yin yoga. I don't do it terribly often, but I think it's very beneficial. But it's important to note as well to to get connective tissue adaptation, to get the body to adapt. You don't need to go to end of range. To get the stimulation, there was a study that came out in 2011, I think it was published in 2012, um, in the Sports Medicine Journal, and it came out of uh, an anatomist in Scotland and she was studying engineered, engineered connective tissue, which we understand to be very, very similar in behaviour and structure to animal connective tissue. And clinically, we think it's probably pretty accurate in terms of what happens to our, to our bodies. But she showed that by stretching for 10 minutes or by loading a connective tissue for 10 minutes, you got the maximum collagen response. It didn't matter if you loaded at end of range or partway through range. But by loading it, you got maximum response after 10 minutes. After Ma- 10 maximum response? Maximum okay. collagen production okay. response. And then Can it, you explain what that is exactly? So that's, um, that's the body's cellular, cellular activity. So much like you do a set of bicep curls, ideally what's happening is you're, as you load it, the tissue is actually tearing and repairing. And then it takes several days, depending on uh, the amount of tearing you've done, to recover. But what all it is is the the body's way of energy production and um, developing. When I talk about sort of activity, that tissue has been loaded. It's kind of being torn. I don't want to say that because, of course, it sounds much worse than it is. But that's a natural a natural um, phenomenon. And then it recovers. And what we know is in ten minutes. The you get the maximum response and then it peters off, it goes, it drops completely and it won't become responsive again for six hours. But the thing is, that's the time issue. It didn't matter in her study, it didn't matter if she did the heaviest load possible or or a moderate load. And can I ask as well, when you say 10 minutes, do you mean time under tension? Yeah, time under load. Yeah, Yeah. so not like she did one set, she sat on her phone texting for three minutes no i it was more say when the rate when i then read the study they were using time under tension yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. as a, as a way to program so because yeah, it was so a scientific experiment so that might be where just on that it's that's a case of like pick an exercise pick a bicep curl yep you pick up the weight clock on yep yes you do your but reps you would, for but you would count the entire set 
Yeah. So let's say you finish that first set at 45 seconds yep. and you're fatigued. Put the weight down. Clock stops. Yes. Uh, so the one, this study I'm talking about, this is one of their limitations. Right. They haven't gone into the practical aspect of it. So what did they do in the experiment itself? They used these engineered engineered connective tissue mm-hmm. and they held it under tension. Oh, so it was like a stretch yep. almost. Yeah. Okay. Yep. okay. But they did them under extreme stress, stretch. They did them under mild stress and it didn't make a difference. So when we then go back to you doing your yin yoga pose and yin is about pushing the body. But it's not necessarily about pushing the body to the nth degree. No, it's, it's also a, p- a passive practice that's a lot about um, getting your parasympathetic nervous system to like chill you out. Yeah. And to stimulate parasympathetic also doesn't mean going to end of range. Yeah. So therefore, I think we are overdoing it. And for too long, you know, I'm sure people doing handstands are lasting longer than 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, so Why? Why not look at it and say, okay, so this study is suggesting this. Let's not take it to the exact um, measurements that this woman did in her study in Scotland and so forth because it's not necessarily practical. But why don't I do 10 minutes now before work and then let my body recover and 10 minutes after work? Mm -hmm. Because you're doing it for half an hour. What we're showing is you're not getting any benefit. In fact, what you could be doing, and this is, this is another direction we need to go, is by overloading when you're not getting any response, are we then leading you to breaking that elastic limit? Yeah, I've got two things to say. One is a question. The first one is I think it's very important to understand who the person is and then be able to say, okay, this type of practice is the best for you. Because if you're looking at the stiffies, yin yoga would be a great practice Absolutely. for them because they're very tight. Yep. But if you look at people who are very hypermobile um, and less stable, maybe yin yoga or, um, or some of the very – very uh, aggressive types of yeah. well, aggressive is not the right word. More active, yes, yes. Types of practices that push you into end range might not be the best thing. They might need something to support that yeah. as well before More they do like that. More like a vinyasa flow that keeps you moving. That keeps it. Yes, you hold it for a certain period of time, but that's an active hold, and then you move through it again. Mm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's all about the person, where they come from, what they're trying to achieve. Um, what else they do? Because as you, you mentioned before that you often found that weight training helped. Yeah, it did when I was feeling like that and yeah. a lot of rest too. As a physio, we're very conservative and we're always looking at prevention. And we, I'm not, I'm not going to say we, in my clinic, we are b- big believers in moderation and in cross-training, mixing it up. If Say a, a yoga person, in my opinion, needs to do some sort of impact training or weight training. Because that's what's going to create the stimulation into the body to support itself. And then the same thing, if you're a runner, I definitely believe that you should be running, you know, your three, your four, maybe your five times a week if that's your choice. But you need to incorporate into that some sort of um, active rest, be it swimming or a yoga class, to balance you out. Some sort of rotation work. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. At least once a week. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go. No, I was going to sidestep. Continue what you're saying about the cross training. I can't remember. Oh, sorry for interrupting you. I I think cross training is is really important, so important because you see people even who do weight training and they need to yeah. do something like in yoga. Oh. They need to stretch. Absolutely. Um, so that's a really important point. What I was going to ask was, 
So the stiffies tend to know that they're stiffies. I think you're loving the stiffies yeah. more than we're loving the stiffies. Yeah. I'm, Sorry. I've only I could pretend we're to be Australian. Yeah. I could take all your terms. Um, so people who are stiff, yep. they know that they're stiff. Do you know? So they like. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, oh, I can't touch my toes. Yes. Okay. Yep. The people who are <clears throat> mobile know that they're mobile. And people who are flexible, they know. Like, let's take the two spectrums. Yep. And then you have your people in the middle who are sort of. But take the people way at the end of the floppies. Yep. How do they know that they're... So they know they can get into all these poses. But, but And so they're sort of getting away with it. Yep. How do they know or how could a yoga instructor, teacher, uh, identify, okay, you are a genetically mobile person. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're sort of walking the tightrope now because yep. you've been doing this for however many yep. years. And you're genetically a stiffy, so we can keep kind of pushing you. Because I know there's the hypermobile tests. Yep. The Baton and the Delmar. Can you guys explain those? Go oh, you're it. looking at me. Okay. <laughs> there is the one where, and the microphone's going to be hard, you can go thumb to uh, Baton. Thumb to your wrist mm-hmm. as the first one. All right, I'm going to try this. You've got a few. We've done this before. This uh, way? In the front. That way. Make your wrist turn your mouth. Yep. Yep, one. Yeah. Other side. Uh, Bait and you do both. Two. Okay. Can you go a little finger? Yeah. Is that 90 it's degrees? Go 90. Yeah, I'd say. So the little finger has to go 90, yep. which mine definitely doesn't Three. do. Neither does mine. Um, and the other side? Four. Okay, go elbow straight. No. So you, the hyperextension elbow is where you see a big bend, Mm-mm. which is very important when people are in their inversions. Absolutely. You need to be able to identify, okay. The other side. No, so you don't get Are a point there. Are you dead straight? Like, boom, lock it. Yeah. Yep. So in that position, you would be strong yep. through your wrist, elbow, shoulder because the force is linear. Yep. When you have a hyperextended elbow, yeah, you've got a buckle. So now the force and the elbow wants to buckle the opposite way, which puts huge stress on your elbow structures. Mm. So the wrist has to just work overtime. Um, the other Knees. one then... Knees. Oh, there's the up. knee hyperextension as well, yeah. Yep. I don't think I hyperextend. I think your knees... So can you pop your knees yeah. back? No. no. You're sort of standing on the, on a little thing on the ledge, but you're not even close to it. No. And then the third one is, can you go palms... But not the third, what are we on, yeah. six? Can you go palms Come on the floor. floor? Yeah, that's easy, but I'm going to address... Is this the third Well, you could face the camera, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So there's five. Five out of 11. What have we missed? Is that right? We've missed something. We didn't definitely do 11. There are, I think it's 11 moves though, isn't it, Baton? Is it right and left? Right do and left, except the the one is the palms to floor. Oh, yeah. So, the, so those... Got, is, is there a foot one? Because I probably fail massively on those. My foot a does foot one. nothing now. <laughs> but you would fail it when we'd look at your history and say, okay, you've got you've had surgery. So yeah. there's, that's not in the... Yeah. That's a, that's a off the list anyway. We can't use that as an outcome. Mm. Um because we're trying to find out like what's your genetic makeup like yeah. are you naturally hypermobile yeah. because now so you're you've already been safe now in your elbow zone in my view i'm not a yoga person yeah. but i'll be like okay when we do overhead uh mm. upside down things mm-hmm. your elbow's okay yep so let's let's load up let's start gently loading the wrists and the shoulders yeah. because we'll be safe yeah, now if you have a hyperextended a hyperextended elbow it's a tricky one do you want them to come back into neutral and then overload their musculature, and then any failure you're going to get is probably going to be 
like elbow flexor, elbow extender control. But you're so um, mid-range. Yeah. Like injuries tend to happen end of range. And at speed. And at, and at speed. Sometimes. But, but I guess the injuries I'm seeing in the clinic regarding today, they're not speed injuries. Mm. They are overdone, long-term Long hold injuries, mm. and, they and they're happening at like, range. Sorry to just go, but they also pop up when they're they've gone for a run with their boyfriend, or when yeah. they played volleyball. Do you know they didn't happen in the in the studio? Oh no, it doesn't. That's not where people get injured. It's like oh, I went, I decided my friend wants to go to this circuit class or this other thing, and mm. I'm just not feeling right since then. Well, the other thing we're we're seeing, the ones we're seeing, are coming in and they're saying, yeah, no, I I don't feel any pain during yoga, but I, by the end of the day, I'm feel I started feeling this hip pain, and now whenever I wake up, I feel hip pain, and now when I walk, I feel hip pain. And they're still going to yoga. Yeah. So it's not necessarily even a, an injury. It's the development of pain. Mm. I'm just going to go back to something you said the, before about floppies knowing they're floppy. Yeah, to be sorry, honest, was... a lot of floppies, and I'm not talking about yogis, I'm talking in general, a lot of floppies don't even know they're floppy. Yeah, so this is what I was trying to yeah. get to the point. A lot of know. floppies are the type of people that don't do sport. And they don't do sport because they were never coordinated and they could never, they could never get strong because they need a particular program to get their base strong before their arm is strong. So they're not going to be throwing a baseball because they haven't got any strength through the trunk to begin with or the shoulder. And that's where you need to develop it first. So we see a lot of people coming into the clinic with injuries who are not sporting. They're not active people. And you'll say to them, do you exercise? No, I'm not much good at exercise. I, I can't, I, I'm not strong and I'm uncoordinated. And that's very typical of a floppy because they can't control. And it, again, I'm making it sound like they're going to fall on the floor. No, but when you, when you add load, when you impose more stress on the body, the body in some way fails. Yeah. I, um, no. No, but so yeah, you've reminded me why I brought all that up in the first place. Yeah, let's go with the, that. Like, how do we t- how do we know how do we how does a person who's taking a class say instead of going to someone? Yeah, more, more, more. Yep, you're doing great. Keep going. Look, you came in here two weeks ago. You couldn't touch your toes. Now you're touching your toes. Like, instead of just saying all is better or continue to stretch mm-hmm. or continue to to push on, how does an instructor say? Okay, you're like you are doing weight, but great. But I can see from this position or from this position that yep. you're inherently mo- hypermobile. Yep. So you're gonna have to. There's no. It's not a, like it might be. You're gonna have to do some strength training. Like yep. you're gonna have to buy into some other practice as well to get you strong. How does somebody impart that? How do you identify it and then get the get the person the right? solution i think in in a class environment doing the bait and score that we just did with caroline or the partial bait and score because what what was the rest of that do you guys know moving on um (laughs) yeah we're we're running out of time and to be honest to be honest if i'm right i think baiting is no longer considered super accurate i think people are now looking at baiting and thinking it's a little old school and it's a little generalized generalist Mm -hmm. so i don't think it's accurate anymore so i think it would be unwise to to go on and confirm the full program. Yeah. but The conclusion is I'm partially flexible. Yeah. So <laughs> but I'll be looking, so taking extra, instead of saying you're A or you're B, you're hypermobile or you're not, you can use it to say your elbows are strong. Yes, okay. exactly. 
And your, that's awesome. Yeah. And my knees are strong. Your knees are but good. But I also have it like a, a – goes back to what you guys were discussing like for years obviously before my accident but even after like i was really flexible straight after my accident yes i can i can attest to that (laughs) yeah i remember Mm. you coming into the hospital Mm. and how close can we and i was doing these just so everyone knows Mm. miffy and i would play this game what can you do just so everybody knows miffy helps caroline with her recovery yes yes indeed so when I was in hospital, Miffy used to come and we used to have uh-huh. like a physio session. At first, it was like, can you do this with your leg? Yeah. And you would And it would be leg. the simplest. Yes. It would be the simplest activity. Yeah. yeah. Can you wiggle your toes? Mm. <laughs> could you? Uh, oh, nope. No. I don't think I could do no. anything at the time. But eventually, after like two months of laying in a hospital bed, I got so bored. So Miffy was like, let's see what you can do. So the first trick is like, you know, can you draw your left knee, which was a not yeah. broken leg, mm. into your chest? And I would bring it right in. <laughs> and the right leg could do nothing. But the left uh, leg was like an acrobat. Yeah, it was. It had no strength. But it had all the movement. Yeah. And had you not then rehabbed, you would have been at risk of loading the hip joint too much, yeah. loading the pelvis. Well, the pelvis was its own yeah. little thing. But Do loading the knee too much, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so what I was going to say to that is that before my accident, I was very fortunate enough that I was always practicing yoga and Pilates together. Oh, um, um, always meant that, say you were practicing, and, and this is what you see sometimes in, in studios where they have uh, Pilates and then they do yoga at the same time, doing it simultaneously. Whenever mm. I felt like I didn't start practicing yoga until about two months ago now mm. um, because I was too weak all the time, yeah. all straight after my accident to until about two months ago. We're talking about two and a half years of not doing any yoga because I was so uh, weak. But that's also because you understand where yoga comes from or what it's aiming at. And yeah. that's – you're the, the perfect person to do it because you have the education that you are even holding yourself back. And that's what, I, that's what I'm getting at. That's what I want instructors to be telling people that, you know, just because you can bend and put your palms on the floor doesn't mean you're at that level. Mm. And that means maybe you need to be staying at that level for an extra month, even though you think you've got yeah. it nailed. Yeah. You, you can't just because you can do it, it yeah. you can't just keep moving through the, the system. Yeah. yeah. It's important to know your body massively. Mm. And, and bringing into the different yoga types, I think that's also important. Mixing types of yoga is good because some are good for flexibility, some are good for strength. And just because you might be awesome at, at yin yoga mm. and you can do every pose to the nth degree doesn't mean that you are strong. Yeah. And we put you into a, an Ashtanga class, beginner's Ashtanga class, and you may fail miserably mm. because you don't have the strength and the ability to control your body. Yeah, I, I know... Like I felt that a lot after even so I had like Trendelenburg gait for a very long time. My whole right pelvis was so weak. There's no I couldn't there's no way I could go into a yoga class whatsoever. Mm. And that's just personal experience. So I think it's interesting in that regard to yeah, cross train, to do both things. Yeah. To yeah. do whatever it is that your body needs and like say you have an end goal, so I wanna be able to be flexible. Well, how can I get there in a really balanced 
and supportive way doing a few different things absolutely um, for people who want to do those hands down because i i think at the end of the day if, if people are exercising you want to encourage them to continue to yes. exercise and, and it's to a be healthy. very fine balance yeah I and agree. to find something that they're passionate about and they feel like great like i love yoga i'm not going to give it up and i know mm. sometimes there's the, there's times where i'm there and i'm like oh shit this is not good but i'm like oh yeah i'm doing it anyway um so it's important to find an outlet for people, find something that you're passionate in, but then find a way to do it safely. Yeah. And getting back to your point of how can teachers know and, and what can they do and so forth. One, we think, and Caroline, you'd, you'd understand this, and you'd understand this from your, your work as well, but not necessarily through yoga. With practice and with experience, you can pick a stiffy and a floppy like that. Mm. Like if you think of your patients, even though you maybe haven't heard the concept today, if you think of who you're working with at the moment, and you could put them into groups yeah, because of experience. So the first thing is it, it will come very quickly to you um, as to who is a stiffy and who is a floppy. And I think for the people in the middle, and I'm definitely in the middle, I'm not completely inflexible, but I'm not super flexy either. And I'm in the middle. You don't really need, as a, as a teacher, you don't need to worry too much about me unless I'm the one throwing my leg up, coming every day, and I'm holding every posture to, to like ridiculous positions. But the ones you should be focusing on perhaps to start with are the ones at the end of the spectrum. And they're the ones that you need to discuss with them. You know, what else are you doing? What are you doing outside of yoga? And take five minutes to have a chat with them. What, what do you want to achieve? Um, what are you here for? Because they, particularly your floppies, will need education on what they can do. They're probably not the ones that you can say, go and play football once a week with your mates. Yeah. They're more the ones that you're going to say. And I, I'm a big believer. I think yoga and Pilates work beautifully together. Mm. Uh, because if you, if you break it down, and I know I'm going to raise some hairs here, to me yoga is a flexibility, uh, more a flexibility practice. Pilates more, is more stability, strengthening practice. Yeah. So the two together are almost symbiotic from where I stand. Um, so those people that are particularly floppy, one, they need to understand what yoga is. It's not just about being flexible and putting your hands on the floor. And you need to also encourage them to be cross-training, to get some impact into their body or to get some weight training into their body. Let me ask two um, outside observer questions. If somebody goes through a full yoga, um, like the thing you were describing, the, the levels, the f what did you call through them? Through the Ashtanga. Oh, yeah, it's Level. an Ashtanga practice. Okay. But just, just remember that, like... Now, when you're doing a, an Ashtanga practice now, most people will never get through the primary series. Mm. You'll stay on the primary series for a long time. It's only if you start going to India and doing Mysore practices with, like, the the gurus. Mm. Um, Sharath, I think, is Patabi's son now. He's the one that's teaching the whole mm. Ashtanga lineage. Um, yeah. But, but all, all types of yoga have levels. Yeah. Well, what I was going to ask is if... So, is there a way... Let's phrase it differently. Is there a way to achieve global strength in the system through yoga only? I believe so. I look at my, I look at the yoga teachers that I see that learn from beginner level, and they they don't they don't go beginner level on Monday and then three weeks later they're on medium level. They're doing as as Caroline said, they're doing three months mm -hmm. at beginner level. To move, to move up. So they are making sure that they have every posture under control and they can hold the postures. So it's not just about achieving. It's about can you hold it and can you hold it with control. So I believe that, yes, 
if you take um, people, I'm not going to say yoga teachers, I'm going to say true yogis. Can I say that? Yeah. True yogis, I believe they can get. As opposed to um, weekend warriors. Weekend warriors. Or, uh, I mean, some, I think nowadays you are seeing some teachers that are more physical based. Mm. And I'm almost tempted to. What um, what, what do you mean, physical based? So so yoga is about the physical, um, the mind, and the spirit. And. I'm almost tempted to suggest tra- t- changing the name of yoga these days and, and having names like, oh, I, I, yeah, I go to physical yoga or, or popularized mm-hmm. yoga or whatever yeah. it happens to be. Because we have this discussion a lot, a lot. I keep telling, like, it's, there's popular yoga yeah. and, and then there's actual, like, yes. there's yoga that's practiced in a very different way as opposed to a class of 20 people and one, one very... Yeah. Uh, one teacher that's done a 200-hour teacher training. And that's why I'm saying I think true yogis achieve body control, full body control um, with their practice, yes. And that's why I don't want to say about teachers because some, I'm sure some teachers, yes, absolutely. Look, I'm I'm a teacher too and I've done some ridiculously stupid things. Like Mm. I admit it straight off the bat. I've seen photos on Insta. Yeah, I can do that. And then I try and I'm like, whoa, no, I cannot. Mm. Like that's not going to happen. Yeah. But I've tried, yeah. 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 And that's what we're seeing. People that – and you're probably one of the people that could try. But what we're seeing now is people that really shouldn't try. I'm a like metal person. I can't try this stuff anymore. No, no, no. Robotic. Robotic. I am robotic. Because what I find, sometimes I get people who, they want to get, like I'll get rehab, not patients, but people who have back pain, whatever, knee pain, shoulder pain, and they want to get into the gym because they feel weak. They feel like I want to get strong. And it's it's the kind of stereotype of, say, a, a female who could do either. Yep. But she wants to get a little bit stronger. And then she starts kind of discussing, like, should she go and do yoga? Is she strong enough for yoga? Mm-hmm. Like, is she flexible enough? And obviously yoga will take you down the path and, and improve on all of those things. But I think a lot of people think to if they want to just be a yoga practitioner, they just need to get strong for yoga. So they just need to get strong to hold this oh, pose. No. no, that's not the way I... I look at it, Carolyn's probably got a, a better opinion on it than I do. No. But I certainly mm. think, no, I, I think, it, it, again, it comes down to where you're going to practice your yoga and who your teacher is and what your class is like. But in the, in the true sense of it, you can start as a beginner. You can start as a floppy. I've never done exercise before because I'm uncoordinated and I'm weak. And I believe that's where you can start with yoga. Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to get strong for yoga. If you go to the classes that are 20 people big and we're going to go through this vinyasa flow and has everyone done it? Great, let's, let's start. And no one actually pays attention to whether people have done it or not. That's when perhaps you need a base level of strength. But from, for true yoga, I don't think you need yeah. strength. I think that's why it's very important in, in studios to like really level out their classes and be like, this is a beginner class. Yeah. This is like a foundation. I have some of my dearest friends are yoga teachers. Uh, one of them, I hope she doesn't mind if I mention her, Liz Terry. She's an amazing yoga teacher and she's very, very, very advanced. But when she teaches, she teaches at such a accessible, very like mm. a base level um, so that people can get strong to do to do all of these these segments. So for studio owners, it's important not to just have like 
this is this is yoga mixed class for everyone where mm. you've got like super advanced people and then some very very beginners yeah i think in that regard then it's like yeah you need to get strong to do that because yes. that's crazy yeah. um but if you're starting at like a beginner level then yeah i th- i think my personal experience of it is that yeah yoga's for everyone yeah. and it can be and you don't need to get strong for yoga yeah. but it has to be the appropriate level you have to go into yeah. like learning what downward dog is can you hold downward dog for five mm. breaths because i remember when i started yeah. yoga downward dog would kill me five yeah. breaths in downward dog and my mm. shoulders were like shaking yeah so and yeah. i think like if i'm going to get on a really conservative um I don't want anyone getting injured type thing. I believe that you should stay in a beginner's class for a certain period of time. Like there should be um, limits. Like you should be doing – and, I mean, this is never going to happen because yoga is more an art form than a science. So this would never fit with their their methodology. But you must do three months beginner training. I kind of want to say that. Because we're seeing these – and they're silly injuries. Who do you see injuries? The new people or the – New to mid. Uh, No, mid – like they're not they're not amazing, but they're practicing regularly. Right. Yeah, that's who we're seeing. And then, so I've got back to my second question: Does Pilates give you a global level of mobility? So, going back to when you discussed flexibility and mobility, um, I've never thought of them. I've never thought of what I think of both of those. Uh, I guess if I was to say it from my opinion, flexibility is exactly as you said, the the ability to just touch toes and so forth. Mobility for me would probably be more about joint-based, which means that flexibility perhaps is more muscle-based. But I like the way way you put it. Um, And I would probably talk about your mobility as having control. So I believe that Pilates has the ability, done well, has definitely has the ability to promote all body mobility or, as I would say, control. The whole, the whole point of it is um, sort of efficiency and uh, learning to control the, the trunk, the central areas. And th- the central areas could also be a knee for foot mobility, um, but learning to control those central areas to allow for mobility elsewhere. So, yes, I believe I it definitely has, if we use your term of mobility, which I like, I think Pilates well, my analogy, has the What I tell people, and this could, this could be wrong, but this is how people can digest it. There's two, uh, there's two guys in combat. Mm-hmm. The flexible guy can lift his leg up and put it on the guy's shoulder mm-hmm. and leave it there. Mm. The mobile guy can lift his leg up, kick the guy in the shin, and then uh, can bring his leg yep. back and put it back on the floor. Yeah. There's a difference in those two things. Uh, yes, I agree with you. Yeah. And you want to be mobile under control. Yeah, absolutely. Whether you do, and then you've got to be able to do it slow. And then increase the speed. Yeah. And then turn that speed into power. And then high level stuff kicks in. And then in. kick the man. Yeah. And then yeah. hopefully he falls over. Knock him out. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a big difference between like the ability to go, I can touch my toes. Yes. And I can slowly bend down all the way to Shoulder the floor. Tip yep. my floor and I can stand back up and everything is just as it was before yep. I leaned over. Yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting because I don't know if you recently saw that. Well, I think it was called the deadlift challenge where people were – because – in the physio world, we have this fear of lower back flexion, so the bending over. Yeah. We have this fear because a lot of um, back injuries do come from excessive lumbar flexion, and that, that's yeah. sitting at work on the desk and loosening the structures. It's, 
if it's it's funny because it's exactly what I'm talking about today, but not using yoga. It's sitting at a desk. But again, the, the structures at the back are getting stretched beyond their ability and eventually they break and we get either we get weakened joints or we get disc herniations. It's the same thing. But recently there was this um, challenge, I think it was on Instagram called the deadlift challenge, about going into lumbar flexion. And, and lumbar flexion is not a scary move. We are designed yeah. to do it but we're designed to do it under control and muscles supporting us as we go into lumbar flexion instead of just yeah. sitting and hanging on our connective tissue. There's a very good exercise, which I, I don't, I sort of keep quiet because a lot of people should go nowhere near it. It's called a Jefferson curl, where you stand upright. Can you show us? Is it on a step? There is one version on a step, ah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure, actually, it's not called the deadlift challenge. I'm sure it might be called this one. Well, there's one. You sta- I can't really do it and hold a microphone, but you would stand up yeah. in just in neutral. You've got a bar. or You're better off standing with like a piece of plastic piping to begin with, mm-hmm. something very light. You go chin on your chest. Yeah. You curve your you, f- you flex your neck, mm-hmm. and then you curve your shoulders together so you slowly curve your, your, kind of your upper back, and yep. then you go all the way down. The bar stays nice and close to your leg. And then you just roll your lower back down. And as you get to the bottom, then you kind of stretch out the, yeah. the bar at the base. But on the way back up, you start from the very f- bottom. Vertebrae. Like a roll-up. Yep. In standing, yeah. Like so a shoulder bridge, down. a Pilates shoulder bridge. A sho- so, uh, so I'm thinking so if like you, if standing. You do, rest your microphone down, stand up there. Just face sideways. Okay, so now you're just going to sit with your hands by your side. Just go chin on your chest. Now slowly, just curve your shoulders in. Shoulders yeah, very slowly. Now you're going to go just vertebrae by vertebrae down, down all the way. My okay, so following that pattern yeah. all the way down, but then on the way back up, you go first vertebrae Through the straight, lower back. then next one, then next one. So you unroll. Oh, so I'm, and then I do this. No, stand up again. Oh, I. Okay. Yes. Okay. So yes, yeah, so you roll your chin down, then you'll curve your. So if you just, just turn slightly more sideways to the camera. You're going to roll, tip, tip, forward, forward, mm. forward, all the way down. And then there's a little bit of advanced bit piece down the bottom. But then on the way back up, everything stays curved from the kind of midsection up. You just fix the lower back and then the next one and the next one. And then you just tip straight, 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 straight. Yeah, in Pilates, we call that uh, a roll-up, a stand, yeah, a standing roll-up. So, so on YouTube, in the gym world, it's called a Jefferson curl. Okay, yeah. Where... It's a gymnast thing. And this is this is the deadlift challenge I was yeah. talking about. This is the exact move. Now, this is, is it with load? Do you do it with load? So eventually yeah. oh, okay. you take load because this is going back to what we spoke about earlier. This is all of your posterior chain muscles almost bar pretty much all of your posterior chain mm. on full length. Yeah, but working eccentrically. Yeah. So controlling. So when you then jack that weight up, like it's not an exercise that you substitute to get strong for a deadlift. It's just an exercise that you would do to fire up all these smaller mm. muscles mm. separate to a, to a deadlift. Because you'll see people in that back posture doing a poor like deadlift. Like the erector spiny. Yeah, the multifidus. But getting QL to work mm. without panicking. Yeah. Getting the erectors to work all s- synchronization so that should you ever go to a deadlift and you veer out mm. of that neutral as you get high level, mm. as you get 300 kilos in the bar... If those muscles know what's happening, it's not the end of the world. Yep. You would expect somebody who lifts 300 kilos to be, to have had all the physical adaptations from 250, 200, 150, yeah. 100 kilos that their core and trunk mm-hmm. is robust enough to withstand a little bit of uh, movement or a little bit of uh, poor technique. Yep. But that's at that high level. We use it. We use this that move to 
break the fear of flexion. Because mm-hmm. and, and I take full responsibility as a physio. We sometimes encourage this fear of lumbar flexion because of what we see a well, patient come in with. And then you, you, you're sort of sending them off into the world and you can see they're in this massive extension and bending over. Everything's about the knees. The lumbar spine is designed to flex. Yeah, mm. It's yeah. supposed to flex. It's the, it's the, the amount we do it. And the, and uh, yeah, it's also, so I have a, this is my personal philosophy is there's no wrong exercise at all to, that your body can do, but there's wrong load. And wrong repetition. So yeah, yeah. In relation to the load, yeah. So if you because we can move everywhere, we can move. We can. I can turn sideways and then rotate all the way around and then put my knee over there, like you can see in yoga. But I can't do that with a fifty kilo bar in my hand. Mm -hmm. So if I understand what muscles are working in different segments of the body that's moving, then I know. Well, all right, I'm bending my legs so I could take it bucket load of weight because my quads and glutes are working but I'm actually throwing my spine completely out so the weakest link in this chain is now QL, erectors, multifidus, yep. all these guys. Yep. So Which I have are to all sac- they're designed to support the spine. Yeah, they're not designed to eccentrically, mm. concentrically control yep. all these joints. So I need to sacrifice the load. Yep. So when I'm doing the Jefferson curl, I'm absolutely going to move. As long as, the caveat here is as long as there's no underlying disc yeah, issues, yeah, yeah, yeah. which you sort of well, need to be aware of. You need to be aware of, but at some point, depending on the disc, there's nothing wrong with going back into flexion. If you've got, as you, I completely agree with you, if you've got the muscular support there to do it, yeah. there's nothing wrong with going yeah. in and doing it. The body, the same with posture, you know, good posture is nothing. Any, you can sit anywhere you like. The way I look at it is how long do you hold the posture for? You know, if the if the body can move into a into a posture, so what? Bad, good, but I don't stay here for very long, mm. and I think that's the big thing. And you're talking about weighted load. I'm talking about the load of me yeah, staying yeah. here. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's yeah, it's still relation to the load, and yeah. now the load is my body. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I totally, I totally agree. Mm. Um, but I think when people start to understand the difference between the sort of mobility, flexibility, and then controlling. You, you knowing what muscles are, are doing. So if I'm going to kick the guy in the shin, in the in the chin, yeah, I need this big open space here. Yes. But I need so much dexterity and control from mm-hmm. this opposite foot, knee, yep. hip on the other side, and core. But like, it's a different animal than just chucking my leg up on his shoulder and staying exactly. there. Exactly. And and going back to where we are, that's that's what I'm talking about. Chucking your leg up is seeing the photo on Instagram yeah. and going, I'm doing that. Well, it's interesting. I remember a yoga teacher um, in Australia, just such an amazing, amazing teacher. Um, his name is Simon Borg-Olivier. He used to, that, yeah, in Sydney, yeah, he owns Synergy Yoga. He used to say something. I hope I'm not quoting him wrong, but it was interesting. There's certain postures in yoga where you're standing and you grab your big toe and you lift your le- your leg up. And he was saying once that you need to be able to try and, and let your body get there on its own without actually grabbing your toe and lifting it up. If you're, if you can lift your leg up to there, then grab the toe because you know that that's that's yes. strength and flexibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's that's badass strength. Yeah, yeah. totally. That yeah, would put exactly. any. But yeah. It always stayed in the back of my mind because there's a lot of postures like like a lotus padmasana. So you, you get into the lotus pose and it's like, can you get there without? Your hands yeah. putting you there, yanking. And you mean? What's the yanking. Lotus pose? Yeah, sorry. The the cross, the typical. Yeah. So you you put one ankle here, you put the other ankle here. Oh, okay. The, the little emoji. 
Yes, the emojis. Oh, he said, I don't use emojis. You don't use emojis. Oh, dear. We'll have a whole other podcast yeah. on emojis. So, Next. there is an emoji that's new, and it's a yoga emoji. So, you type yoga into your little thing, and the oh. someone sitting in lotus pose oh, nice. comes up. Yeah. So, yeah, that's lotus pose. Yeah. Give, but give that 10 years, a lotus is going to be hijacked and called emoji. <laughs> Yeah. These popular yogis are going to come in. These weekend warriors are going to go, oh, this is the emoji pose. Yeah. It is. <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, I totally yeah, agree. Massively. But I agree with you. Like, I do I do lotus pose mm-hmm. and I am yanking. Mm. There is no grace. There is no control. There is no elegance. Yeah. There, there's mm. a lot of a lot of postures. Mm. Can you – it's like there's another posture where you're standing, you put yourself into half lotus and then you bend forward. Yeah. And it's like, can you put yourself into half lotus without like – doing this to your leg and i just remember him saying this that's so i'm just thinking as you're talking that's very difficult because yeah firstly you're contra- let's just pick the hamstring you're contracting the hamstring oh. but you're also trying to In over shortened position and then you're trying mm-hmm. to override the soft tissue opposition that the hamstring is giving you mm-hmm. yeah so you've that got to is the level of yeah control. that's super strong yeah, yeah. That you might as well put but, a wave on the, the end point. of your... Then, so this was his point. When when you're able to do that without yanking, then you're ready for that pose. Do you and know? that's going back to, to you asking, you know, how can a teacher tell when you're ready or, or if you should and so forth. That that sounds ideal. Yeah. Only, He's a great teacher. Sorry? He's a great yeah. teacher. And you can't do lotus if you can't do it by yourself. Hands on your head and do lotus. Yeah. I mean, not emoji. right now. You mean yeah. do emoji? Got skirts on. Do emoji. Yeah, yeah. yeah do emoji pose. Do emoji pose. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's. I'm gonna. It's so sad that that is so true. Yeah. We're gonna come true. back here in ten years. We're all gonna be living amazing lives somewhere, and we're gonna come back here and do emoji pose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. with I remembered not to wear a dress yeah. <laughs> for this yeah, emoji yeah. day. I'll wear my active wear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my yoga clothing. <laughs> I've got some friends that like this is segueing entirely but get they're like why is everyone wearing exercise clothes when they're not exercising what's with this like yeah. whole yoga fashion like stepping outside of the gym wear that in the gym anyway yeah but i think it's also easy pick isn't it first thing in the morning just get yeah. the gym clothes i yeah. can just pass it off first like thing I'm in the morning the yep three in the afternoon yeah. put a yeah. shirt on put some clothes on yeah. yeah it's like when you see people wearing like tracksuit pants and mm. it's like come on get dressed they're australian <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Flip flops and wife beaters, oh. and trackies. Yeah. yeah, 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 totally. So, where can people uh, link up with you then? Um, I'm in Healthcare City at the Physio Centre. It's um, next to the City Hospital. Mm-hmm. And then online. Oh, online we have a website which is www.physiocentre. Centre spelled R E, not E R. Dot A E. The Aussie way. The Aussie way, mm-hmm. yes, or English way, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, we're on Instagram. What's the Instagram? Doing yoga pose and emoji. Yeah. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's the physio center. And if people wanted to contact you directly and you don't want to do direct, let's go with the physio center. Go through the physio Please. website. I love and, you all, but... Yeah. <laughs> you might get fan mail. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for coming to talk to us. Yeah, Pleasure. Thank you. So thank you. It was you. a really enlightening discussion. Yeah, really good fun. Mm. Cool. Amazing. Thanks so much, well, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. See you.